This is Ken Lubin, the host and founder of the Executive Athletes Podcast, and welcome to this week's episode. I want to thank everyone that's been listening, and thank you for the comments and feedback. They're awesome and an incredible help in this journey to making this podcast better and better each episode. Once again, this is unscripted and unedited, as I believe it it is the best way to get to really know the guest. Today's guest is Mark England. In 2002, Mark moved to Thailand to further his dream of becoming a professional fighter with the sport's very best. It was actually Thai Thai boxing. And three years and two knee surgeries later, that dream was over. After spiraling into self-doubt, pity, and being an overall miserable person, Going as far as getting or forgetting how to smile for an entire year, and I think many of us may have done that for the last year, uh, Mark decided it was time for a major change. Mark knew that whatever it was that led to his debilitating bout of depression and self-doubt must also affect other people. He was determined to find out the techniques that can make us into better, more effective human beings. Shortly after establishing himself as a life coach and presenter in Asia and Europe, Mark discovered the answer. Every conversation and coaching session about fear, trauma, self-loathing, and self-doubt shared one common trait, the way in which people speak about themselves, the words we use. So Mark put this hypothesis to the test in four years and thousands of clients later, an event attendees or multiple events that he's put on, his company Procabulary was born. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Quite an introduction, Ken. Thank you for having me. And that's true. Uh, I, no, I, we didn't even have masks to to hide the the non smiling back in those days. And I, I didn't. Know. It's crazy, right? And we we're just chatting before this. It's people don't. Eat, it's awkward about people talking to people and and how you handle it, right? I think that's going to be unique. It's going to be a different play. And then once people start getting into business and business meetings, it's going to be interesting. So true story. We were both sharing supermarket stories before we got people are stiff. People are stiff when it comes to socializing because it's it's it really is. It's the use it or lose it uh, uh, deal out of practice. It is. It is. So tell us, tell us a little bit about your story and, you know, vocabulary is super cool. I've actually been going through some of the courses and classes that you've done and it is right. It's the voice between your ears that really controls <laughs> what's happening. So tell us the Mark England story and where vocabulary came about. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, like, like Ken said, I did. I moved over to Thailand thinking I was a tough guy, going to do all these things. And no, <laughs> had my second knee surgery over there. And the doctor said, it's done, dude, give it up. You could become a very good swimmer, which is exactly what I wanted to hear at, at 26 years old. Um, and I believed him because I was in a lot of pain. And he was just tinkering around, scoping around in my knee. So I took it as reality um and darkness descended again i i used because it was a big deal back in 2002 you know no one i'd only had a passport for a couple of years and no one from my town had had done any kind of bold maneuver like that and you know people in the fight scene around around richmond were like oh this is going to be interesting and um and i flopped totally flopped and i i took that and used it as evidence, proof, 
that my, my, my biggest fear that I was a loser and I was doomed to fail was true. And, and yeah, and then I didn't smile for a year because there was no space. I had no mental real estate. My, I, I inflamed such a horrendous, entrenched such a horrendous victim mentality um, into my, in, in my mind, in my story, my heart. I just, I didn't smile. And after a year of that, it dawned on me that, hey, chucklehead, you could tell this same story to yourself for a, a while. And I looked down that path, Ken, and I saw I, that that version of me that am I like, am I going to be complaining about this when I'm 55, 60, 30 years from now? I looked at that possibility because it was a possibility. And I said, I'll take anything but that. If you do that, Mark, with your life, you really are a loser. You, you are that thing you're afraid of being. So anyway, um, right around that same, I was living in Bangkok, teaching elementary school sports, great gig. And uh, my, my vice principal had come back from this detox resort, this fasting resort, cleansing resort down on one of the islands. And he goes, they're doing some interesting things down there. You should go. So took a little, uh, took a little vacation time and went down there and did one of the fasting programs. And I went to this workshop one night on emotional detoxification and me and all my wisdom, I laughed about it. I was like, emotional detox. Anyway, I thank God I went and I watched this woman tell her story about a bad breakup. It was a legit bad breakup. Four years later, she's still hanging on to this thing. And the guy walked her through it, changed some of the words, walked her through it again, second time through. You know, she was really angry and crying first time. Second time, she's different. She's sad, no tears, changed some words. And I could see how it would change how she interpreted the situation. And it, it, was, it was significantly less personal. Third time through, changed some things, and it went from all about her to all about him. And she was like, well, you know, the guy was actually pretty weird. It wasn't going to work out anyway. And I saw that, and I was like, that's not my story, but that's my story. And that was 2003, and I've been, I fell in love on, at first sight with what we call in the vocabulary and lifted community uh, story work. It fascinated me, and it and it's it's held my attention since. I've been doing this full time for the past fourteen years, um, and and you know, like like you like you said at the beginning before we started recording. You know, I'll, I'll make the intro, and then you tell us about who Mark is. You know, Mark's a teacher. I am a teacher. It's true. I have a degree in education, and it's what I do. Uh, pretty 95% of my professional time is certifying coaches and how to help people dismantle their victim mentality. Cause that, in my opinion, my personal and professional opinion, that's the, that's, that's the, the, it's the kiss of death. It's the thief in the night and it's right under our nose and right between our ears. Now from here, Ken, I can go in a variety of different directions. We can talk about specific words. We can talk about the definition of victim mentality. I can get a little woo-woo and talk about abracadabra. I can tell some stories about identity stuff. Uh, what would be a what would be a, a, a rad angle for your your you audience? Know, and I think a lot of people, right? It's uh, 
and we're going to use this podcast for both for actually many listeners know I have two, one executive athletes and call the other one, the ultimate hire. And, but I think there's a lot of similarities between professional business people and athletes, right? And for those who are looking to succeed and they struggle with identity and who they are and what they really are, because you're not what your job is or you're not what your sport is, right? You're, you're much more about that. So let's talk number one about identity. I think that's a big thing. A lot of discussions happen in that, but it's been, it's been around for years and years and no one really spoke about it, but it was one of those things ingrained in us since we were kids that you are a doctor, a lawyer, X, Y, Z, and that's your identity when it's not even close. It's what you do for a living. Very well said. The The current definition of identity is the fact, is a Webster's, the fact of being who or what a person is. We gave a TEDx talk about this and uh, uh, quite easy to, to argue against that definition. So Ken, I mean, I can definitively say this for me and i had 1800 people on stage agree with me with a, with a, 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 you know uh, some uh, a lot of laughs i see myself very differently now at 45 than when i was 5 i would assume you can say the same thing oh definitely i think you know some people can some people can't right they get stuck at 18 right there's different phases of life where people get stuck at that's also that's also true and there are reasons for that so the definition of identity, the fact of being who or what a person is, uh, our identity is it's 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 an is it is it factual, or is it more of an ongoing, fluid, flexible process that that we participate in? I'm on the the side that this this story that I tell myself about myself one looks very different if I was to analyze the language <laughs> that I'm using internally and externally and folks when I'm when I talk about language we talk about words a lot language I'm talking about internal dialogue and external dialogue what I think what I say what I write my language now looks very different than when I was five and who's believing my story who, who's believing the story I'm telling me about my me at the end of the day and people are participating in this thing in the story that we're telling internally and externally and there are certain words there's certain there's a subset of the english language it's called conflict language in the in the you know the, the system we created uh that that tricks people into thinking they're innocent bystanders and that that that, that somehow everybody's got it better than them and uh creates massive amounts of indecision forces them to stare at worst case scenarios play the blame game and uh and, and it, there's, there's really only a handful of, of words that do that to us. It's, um, and before it was called conflict language, it was called victim mentality language. With that course you're taking right now, we had to reshoot that thing in, in 2015, which was no small task for two dudes bootstrapping a business because we, after we shot the first course, and this is important, it, 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 it directly influences the angle about identity. We're like, Yes, this is accurate as far as the definition of the victim mentality. These words scripting the victim mentality, it's too strong of a place to start. The definition of the victim mentality, I've recited this God knows how many times, it's an acquired personality trait 
where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others, even in the absence of clear evidence, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. I took a little bit out of the middle. That's the verbatim definition. And that second sentence right there is super telling. The victim mentality depends, as in it has to have a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration and addiction. I was super addicted to my victim mentality. It was, it was, it was, at certain some points in time, I was shaking and sweating, you know, coming up for off of the identity of being a fighter. And then I had to, then it just got worse from there because I had all that, all of those stories about myself that I thought I had dispelled, which means to cast out in the ring. When I stopped training and I, I wasn't that fighter anymore, I had to deal with all that shit. So our stories are very powerful. We participate in them, which is good news. It's the best of news. It's the worst of news. And, and knowing that there are certain words that force us to see things or see ourselves as victims. And this is not victim blaming. This is victim mentality explaining. Those are two very different things. It's, it's extremely powering. And this thing comes back to education, Ken. You know, mo uh, most people's education about their language comes down to spelling, grammar, and definitions. There's a lot more to it than that. I didn't have any courses, classes in high school or college or when I learned to teach about how my language influences how I see myself, how I feel about myself, and definitely nothing about how my language influences my breathing, which is a big part of, well, everything. Socializing. If someone wants to go <laughs> get back into the workforce or give a presentation or go on a date and you want to fuck it up, hold your breath. You'll, you'll have social anxiety out the ass and your listening skills will go down. I hope we can cuss That's on fine. this podcast. Yeah, no right problem. Um, and and you, you will not enjoy anything about your interactions with other people. Conversely, if you want to have – if you want to increase your social skills, have fun on a date, give a great presentation – Give a part of your mental real estate. Pay attention to where you're breathing. You want it low and slow. Most people's breathing is trapped in their upper chest, known as shallow breathing, labored breathing, and coastal breathing. And there is a smorgasbord of medical uh, uh, issues, both psychological and physical, that are, are essentially driven from poor breathing. Well, and breathing is really the lifeblood. Well, obviously, mm -hmm. if you're not breathing right, you're not living. And I think yep. that's a big thing. And people don't ever really know it. They don't know that they're actually holding their breath um, yep. when they're going into, like you said, going into either a competition or going to give a speech or trying to have a difficult conversation. And and it's a, it's one of those things that you have to become mindful to, right? Because the human physiology, it's it, it's cortisol, and they it wants you to breathe fast, fast, fast to you know like you're going to go fight a lion. Where in reality, it's like, hey, slow down, breathe slow, and move through it. And if you look at how it, many of the people listening, I don't know if you watched it or not, but Phil Mil Phil Mickelson at the PGA Championships, right? He went back to just breathing, and he ended mm -hmm. up winning at 50 years old and focused on his breath and focused on the discussions he was having in his head. And that's, I think, 
a learned, it needs to be learned trait. Some people have it innately, which good for you. But I know for myself, when things start, shit's starting to hit the fan, it's time to breathe. It's time to step back. And I talked to my daughter and when I coach kids in ski racing, it's like, Hey, worry about the breath first. And then the performance will come second versus worrying about the performance and then the breath. It's, it's, it's so true. Uh, you know, for the, the people that are listening to this podcast, uh, for athletic performance, I've got a decent amount of experience kickboxing and when someone is breathing in their chest, it's, it's we call it being in your head and you, you can't, here's the language. You can't get your shots off. You can see the whole thing in your, your, your mind. And it's just, there's a, there's a disconnect. Now, the other, when, when someone is breathing low and slow, they say, my, my sh- I'm getting my shots off. It's, it's flowing. I'm in the zone. I'm in the flow. Uh, if, so whatever sport that you want to, it's a, also a great way. If you want to demonstrate getting out of your own way, get your breath low and slow down in your abdomen, and your training will come through a lot cleaner and faster because that the the friction the mental friction will will essentially be out of the way to a dramatic dramatic degree uh and and you know that's when i look at the masters of kickboxing or uh fighting uh i follow ufc closely uh, mma closely all those cats at the very top they're comfortable in there They've done the reps, uh, and and I'm I'm assuming they've worked on the mental game to where they're comfortable. They they're not confident. Confident is better than insecure, of course. And all of this we can take out fighting and putting put in presentation skills, which is something that I do. I'm a, a speaking coach on the side. Most of the time I'm certifying coaches. I, I, I do a little bit of presentation skill uh, uh, coaching. It's a lot of fun, and and the same thing. So most people start insecure about something all right and through with the reps they build the skill set and with the skill set builds confidence and most people that they're starting they're starting insecure they're praying for confidence confidence is better than insecurity and it's still a little stiff there's shangri-la past confidence folks and it's called comfort it's called comfort it's when you go from this to this and you're present and if you keep staying in comfort, then then whatever it is becomes natural, and that is such a beautiful thing. It's so it's so pretty, and it feels great too. Talk to us about people going into a high stakes presentation, or someone who's going into a high stakes sports, you know, performance or concerto or singing performance or whatever, right? Something where you're laying it on the line. Talk to us a bit about the conversations and the words to use in your head to get into that so-called flow state. Very cool. Uh, first things first, get clear about what words are going to, what, what, what statements, if you, want, if you want to get a little bit woo-woo about it, um, affirmations, pick up your pen and write down. <laughs> Magical things happen. When pen hits paper, okay, very magical things happen when pen hits paper. Write down 10 statements, singular statements, complete sentences that would benefit you 
as far as keep you focused on the task at hand, the outcome, keep the drama low, and uh, uh, boost your overall confidence and ability to keep yourself in the game. Um, and, and, and once you, once you write them down, say them out loud, see how they feel. And if you really want to supercharge these things, get a breath in there in between each one. So a statement and a breath statement and a breath statement and a breath. This is something that, uh, uh, people can experience on, on their own. And, and, um, well, there's an old saying, she who feels it knows it. So that's one thing writing, writing down some affirmations. Okay. It's a little bit out there and guess what? It does work because most people have, um, as far as the mindset is concerned, it's usually that conversation can is usually held at a macro level. Yes, mindset, it's a big deal. We know we need to get better at it. That person over there looks very confident. Mm, whoops, and I'm over here. Whoops, would have been nice. When you, when you have, and I'll, I'll speak more about what words to use less of, what words to use more of, and why a little bit later. When you have the words part of the conversation, mindset becomes practical, as in you can practice it. Without the words, it becomes this big picture thing that you know you need to get better at. Uh, uh, and yet, how do I do it? Um, that's 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 one part of the conversation, and then another part. You know, this is a there's is a somewhat of a, a a decent amount of moving parts to this. You you, you got to get clear about the stories that are haunting you. What stories? Are, are you using as proof, as evidence that somehow things are not going to work out for you? This goes for presenting. This goes for leading in, in professional environments. This goes for uh, sports performances. What stories do you have that every time you think about them make you tense up and tighten up and are supporting a part of your identity that, that is working against you? Because most people's most people have some stories that are that 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 are are working against them. Now, this brings up two pretty 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 good examples of of how stories can go both ways. All right, so there are there are expansive stories and there are constrictive stories. This woman walks in, sits down, and says, "I'm having problems in my marriage." My husband thinks I'm attractive. I mean, she was just very, very upfront right off the bat. My husband thinks I'm attractive and I'm not hearing it. I, I refuse to believe it. And I know where it's coming from. I just don't know what to do about it. And I said, well, what happened? She's 10 years old. She walks into her grandma's house for Christmas. And right as soon as she gets in the door, her great aunt leans down and gets in her face and goes, my, you have a big nose just like me. Thanks for that. Little girl, what do you think happens? Little girl tenses up, runs into the bathroom. What do you think she looks at? Ken, first thing she looks at when she gets into the mirror, looks in front of the mirror. For the rest her of her nose. life. 
Her, that too, correct. Her nose, which is no bigger now than it was five seconds ago, but in her imagination, she's got a honker, which means she's ugly. She has now identified herself as that. And then this spooky thing called the reticular activating system comes into play. Anybody that wants to know a, uh, uh, the, the, the technical side or the, the mechanical side, the some of the hardware of why you see the things the way you see, you got to look up the reticular activating system. So the reticular activating system, I got my car stolen in 2018 and short, good short, good story shortened. Car got stolen. I call my dad. I'm like, dad, I need the farm truck. My car got jacked. So I go and I get my dad's farm truck out of the, it's this prized possession, 1985 Ford F-150 two tones of brown, bought it brand new off the showroom. It's mint. He loves that thing. It's called Brown and Browner. And I drove Brown and Browner around Richmond. And in under one day, I started seeing those same cars, vehicles all over the place. Most people have had that experience. Have you had that experience? Everyone Ken? has, right. The Everyone second you become has. aware of something, it's all of a sudden everywhere. Thousand percent. And, and, and when that whole thing with the cars, it's the reticular activating system. So once it gets programmed, it goes on a search and edit mission. And you can program it for anything. You can program it to, to, to focus on the worst shit about yourself imaginable. Or you can program it, especially if you know the words to use, to, to, to see more opportunity and see the best in people. And, and to celebrate your own wins and to build things up as opposed to tear them down. So it goes on a search mission. And it goes on an edit mission. So while I was finding more and more of those trucks, I was editing out. I wasn't finding any blue old Oldsmobiles or red Beetles because that wasn't the thing. And it's the same thing with that that little girl. So now that she's identified herself in the blink of an eye, identifies herself as ugly because I've got a big nose because this 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 hag of a woman just said I did just like her. Um, now I'm. She, her she started immediately started focusing on all the flaws of her body search mission and editing out any information that was contrary to that so when her when her husband said things like sweetheart you look beautiful tonight you don't mean that cuz she she lit the filter literally won't let it in you think that caused some problems it did and it goes both ways folks 2014 I give a presentation. There's a guy sitting up a booth right next to me. He hears the whole thing. He comes over and says, that was really cool. You want to hear a cool story about this? I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, who says no to that, by the way? And, and, and he goes, my grandfather took me out in the backyard when I was 12 years old. And he said, I don't remember the guy's name. He goes, we'll call him Johnny. He goes, little Johnny, life's wild. There's going to be ups and downs and twists and turns and zigs and zags. And you're going to get things wrong. You're going to get things right. Just always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. And he said, my whole life changed in an instant. He said, it, I took a big breath in. <sighs> remember, expansive stories, expansive spells. I took a big breath in. I looked up. Things are looking up. I saw myself as confident and capable. And he goes, I've made so many mistakes. But you know what? I go after what I want. And, and I learn from those mistakes. And so, folks, to circle back to Ken's original question, most people have stories in their story 
that are building blocks of the victim mentality. You want to take your pen. Is this a pen or is this a magic wand? Okay. You can do all kinds of interesting things with this. You want to get those memories on paper. It's the last thing that you might want to do and get it out of your head. A story kept in your head, it swirls around. It's seemingly infinite. There's the worst part. Uh, don't like it. What do I do? Run from it, fight it. Both of those options suck. Pretend it's not happening. That doesn't work either. Pen to paper, write out what happened, give it a title, get it out of your head and you'll look at it. You'll literally have some distance from your eyeballs to the paper. And now it's finite. It's got a beginning. It's got an end. And you just took a big step in the process of, of owning the stories that have haunted you for God knows how long. So, I mean, I can keep going, Ken. No, this is awesome. And I think it's such an important impediment or opportunity, ability to see opportunity. I loved what you said, right? You can look at it as an impediment or you can see, look at it as uh, shift your gaze to the opportunities that are out there. Um, one of the things I have, I, I believe in life is sort of like playing solitaire. There's every, there's a move with every card that every time you flip it over, and you may not know what the move is with it, but it's there. And the key is to try to identify that move. Where's that move next? That's going to be to your best opportunity. And it's very similar with the whole pen thing. I love what you just said. Is this a pen or is it a magic wand? And journaling or writing things down is freedom. It's something I do every day. I can't read my writings, so I actually type it because if I go back to uh, try to read it, it's I don't even know what I'm saying, but it's one of those things that allows you to say, hey, you know, actually I thought about that and whatever came out that morning on paper, it, it's out, right? And then it may you may go back to it a year later and say, oh yeah, I had that thought once. And then you can just, you know, you can search it. And I think that's, there is so much power in that. And that internal conversation, I think the majority of people, that's their biggest enemy. It's not the enemy out, the, out there, it's their enemy inside. Yeah, 100%. Muhammad Ali said it, it's not the mountain that we climb that wears us out, it's the pebble in our shoe. And the, the pebble in our shoe, folks, most people are not haunted by 947 different thoughts. It's a handful of thoughts or a handful of questions about their life that keep showing up over and over and over again. You pick up that pen and get those things on paper, it'll probably be less than 20. And once they're out, it's they're so much easier to manage. Let's let's decrease the woo-woo on this conversation with a little bit of well, some definitions. So when, when, and I've learned about this in 2013, it changed my professional career, personal and professional career. When I say abracadabra, Ken, what do you immediately think of? Magic. Magic. You know what? Everybody does. On a side note, I have my, my passport before COVID was, it looked like a grenade went off and I had stamps from everywhere. I was traveling around for years globally and giving presentations. And I would ask that same question and you can go anywhere. It doesn't matter what language, culture, every, in my personal and professional opinion, abracadabra is the most well-recognized word on the planet. And it does not mean magic. What it means, well, what is it? Abracadabra is Aramaic, which is, an, is a very old language. It's the language the original Old Testament was written in. It's still spoken in some areas of the Mesopotamia today. And it, Abracadabra is Aramaic, and it translates to with my word I create or with my word I influence. 
the teachers, the metaphysicians of the day, would triangulate abracadabra and wear it around their neck to remind them of the power and the mechanism of the spoken word because they knew that if their language was working against them, everything else that they were going to do from there on out was going to be hard. They also knew what happens when they got their language working for them, which is a whole lot of fun. And then, then the definition of a spell. What, this is Webster's definition, not mine, y'all. The definition of a spell is a word or a combination of words of great influence. My, you have a big nose just like me, is a combination of words that greatly influence that little girl. And so is always remember to err on the side of being a badass motherfucker. They are combinations of words that do different things. And when we learn to look at our language more objectively, as opposed to, I mean, come on, everybody, what's more seductive than our own voice in our own head? It's the most seductive thing on the planet. It's the easiest thing to, 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 to believe in. And most people are defenseless to it because they immediately believe it. They agree with it. First thing that shows up might as well be true. Well, what could possibly go wrong? Quite a lot, actually. Um, and, and learning to be more objective about what your words, your language is doing to you, whether, whether the story that you're telling yourself currently is more of a constrictive, compressive, weight, stressful, breath trapped in the chest, weight of the world on my what shoulders, or is the, or is, is the way that you're using your language, is it opening, opening yourself up as in letting you breathe well? creating lighter feelings, giving you, when someone goes into a stress response, it's called amygdala hijack. You can look it up. Breath trapped in the chest. Our, our ability to listen goes super way down. We get fixated on something. We lose access to our creative faculties and uh, life sucks. Also very hard to change your mind when your breath is trapped in your chest. Anyway, you get your breath low and slow and you get distance, perspective. You, you get your creative faculties back. You turn into a good listener. Your timing gets so much better, whether it's timing in kickboxing, timing in a conversation, timing on a date, timing and rhythm in a presentation for work. That's heaven. And a lot of that comes down to our words, the language that we use. Everyday, ordinary words it's simple but not easy correct that's there's a very astute assessment so this has been awesome we go on for hours and hours with this stuff and i'm sure we should probably do a round two on this because this is such an important thing for overall performance and so many different areas of life where can the listeners check you out where can they see what you're up to and check out your courses that you're doing very cool. Uh, Instagram's a great place. I turned my Instagram account a, a couple of years ago into a free school. So it's 80, 85% um, language, free language training, and then 15% entertainment. Um, we do a free class every Tuesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called Tuesday Night Live. And for anyone that, uh, for the fitness people, uh, go to enlifted.me and, and watch that video. If you're a coach, uh, and you want to learn, if you want to learn the, the, the cheat code to helping your, your athletes crack the ultimate problem, which is the one between their ears, that's what we specialize in. Enlifted, enlifted.me. 
Um, and Ken, just put this out there because I like putting stuff out there. If if one of your demographics would like a 45 minute gold conversation about the difference between an amateur and a professional when it comes to presenting and what to do from there, just all you got to do is ask, buddy. I'll come back on and talk about that stuff all day long. Love it. Perfect. Perfect. No, and I'll put the links to everything here as well. But this is stuff that I think is can separate, you know, separate the big boys from the rest. And it's an opportunity to, to really do that. And I think um, that's how you go about selling yourself in today's world as well. So thank you, sir, for being part of this. I'm super psyched that we were able to do this, but keep up the good work and awesome to have you. Thanks, Ken. And if anyone has any questions, comments, or feedback, you can email me at kenintheexecutiveathletes.com. Make sure you're out there. Keep on crushing it every day. Keep on listening and have a great one. Awesome. We're off.